Good morning, everybody. Oh, man, so good to see you guys today. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. So if we could just really quick have all the men in the church stand up. Stand on up. Let's honor these guys. Thank you. I know maybe you're, maybe you're not a, yeah, stay, actually stay standing up. Sorry, guys. I know you're just anxious to get right back to that seat, but just stand up for a second. Uh, maybe you're not a, a, a natural father, but every man in the kingdom of God is called to be a father, a father in the faith, to lead with character and integrity and raise up spiritual sons and daughters. And we need fathers in the house of God. And so if you're a natural father, thank God for you. And if you're not a natural father, maybe you will be someday. Uh, maybe you won't be someday, but you can be a spiritual father. So we honor you today and we're going to pray for you today. So if everybody would just put your hands out towards the nearest man around you, we're going to pray and honor the men in the house today. Lord, I thank you for these men of God. I thank you for each man here. Lord, there's an attack against them in our culture. Lord, an attack uh, against their integrity, an attack against their purity, an attack against their, uh, their calling and their security in you. And so, Lord, we affirm them today. We celebrate them today. We thank you for them today. We honor them today. We thank you for the specific calling and mantle that you've placed upon each man to be a spiritual father and to raise up sons and daughters in the faith to make an impact and leave legacy. We thank you for them today. We bless them today on Father's Day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Have a seat, guys. So for all the men in the house, we've got beef jerky for you on the way out. Oh, I'm glad you're excited about it. Somebody on staff was like, do you think we should keep doing the beef jerky? And all the guys on staff just went, you know, that sounded good to me as a, as a man. So I'm excited. We'll just keep rolling with the jerky. Uh, I wanted to let you know this last week, Bethany and I were actually on a cruise in Alaska. Yeah, it was awesome. And so I have some pictures to make you feel jealous. Um, this is actually a picture in Glacier Bay. And uh, we had, it was just a beautiful, incredible place. I was absolutely gobsmacked by the, the wonder and grandeur. To me, it was on the level of the Grand Canyon where your mind cannot comprehend what you're seeing and what's going on. You can go to the next picture here. This is us in front of a, it's actually a 200 foot tall glacier. Uh, and uh, you can't tell the scale there because obviously I, I have a big head, people have said, but it isn't, <laughs> it isn't that big. Looks like the picture cropped it out. But yeah, this one is a, Another one there, uh, glacier. That one is the <laughs> glacier. It was formed in the <laughs> BC. <laughs> Next. Uh, this one got kind of cut away, but yeah, you can see we're on a trail there. Bear activity, stay together. We actually did not see a bear, but on this island where we were here, there's more. Oh, thanks. There's, <laughs> there's more bears than humans on this island. Uh, and it was, it was really neat. So Bethany goes, let's take the trail. And I go, did you not hear what the nice man said? There's more bears than people, which means there's a, 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 I guess there was more need for food for the bears. Anyways, next, this is us, yeah, on the, on the boat there. Obviously, you can tell we had a bad time. It was rough. Um, weather was really bad, and uh, we didn't have a good time at all. No, it was amazing. And then this last one, this is a special picture because that's a picture I took on the cruise. <laughs> so we, we, we could actually tell, uh, please take that embarrassment away now. Thank you so much. We could actually tell on our honeymoon and every trip Bethany and I take together which pictures I've taken because there's almost always a piece of thumb 
I don't know where the thumbs come from. I guess they're my thumbs or something. And then I go, babe, you're never going to believe this, but I actually got a picture. I was going through my camera, and I'm like, this is one of the pictures I took on the trip. Didn't realize it at the time, but just kind of fat-fingered it, and then there you go. Uh, that's the kind of pictures I, I take. Now, I don't like to toot my own horn um, more than a few times per day, but <laughs> do you know that not all heroes wear capes? And we were on the ship, and, you know, they, they did recruit me to be the captain. I had to turn him down. I said, no, I'm already uh, happy, you know, with my current profession as a pastor, but, but thanks for asking me. Um, and the reason that they asked me is because I'm, I'm a true hero. I saved all the, the lives on board that ship. So one day, we're walking out, and we're going to take a, a turn <laughs> around the deck. And we walk out, and it was kind of windy and, and a little bit nasty on the way back. And all of a sudden, we see this cable that had must have broken loose and it was a live wire and it was thick and it was arcing and sparking off the side of the 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 post coming down so it was like an arc and we could hear it snapping that electrical sound that you know that whole sound so that's not good on a boat right and you can't see land and so I'm pretty scared so I'm like uh Bethany goes oh somebody will see it I'm like no we are the ones who need to do something and so I run inside and I can't find like what, what to do. I see a phone and I'm thinking, what do I do with this? You know, and it says if you have an emergency, dial 911. But I'm like, well, nobody's like being actively attacked by this cable or whatever. So I run into this other place. I run into the shops and I find a nice young man named Pravesh. And I'm like, Pravesh, there's an electrical thing happening. And they're like, okay, he runs out with me and he sees it. And I can tell, uh-oh, they don't normally see this. <laughs> and so he, he's like, stay here. And he runs off. He goes and gets somebody else. Then he runs back. He's like, come with me. And he calls the bridge. So I'm standing next to Pravesh. Pravesh is on the phone with the bridge. And he's telling them, yeah, there's this electrical thing and you need to come down. And you can tell they don't really believe him. And so he's like, no, I'm here with a guest. And he's, he saw it too. So finally an officer comes through. And it's like this young Scottish guy. And, 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 I'll, and I'm like, he's, he's asking about it. And I go, yeah, this is what we saw. So we take him out there and he looks and his eyes get really big. <laughs> So at this point, I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, this is, we're going down. Uh, and the wa- it's so cold there, obviously, in the water. I'm thinking, I'd rather just take a big gulp of, be gone, you know what I mean? If we're going down, I don't want to try to swim, get eaten by a shark or something. Anyways, the officer came over to me. He's like, thank you, we got it. We, we appreciate you saying we got it. You know, and he gave me like a big thumbs up. He was Scottish. So anyways, that was my moment of heroism. Uh, yeah. Like I said, not all heroes wear capes. <laughs> Anyways, we had a great time. Felt like it was a pretty, pretty uh, dadly uh, experience there in Alaska, seeing bald eagles and whales and sea otters. We didn't see any bears, unfortunately. I'm glad we didn't see any in person on that trail, but we had a wonderful time. As we get moving forward today, it's Father's Day, and in honor Father's Day, I want to share an important message with you about seeing our Father in heaven, seeing God with a clear and accurate perspective. Um, How we see God and how we perceive God and relate to God as Father changes everything. But what I've seen is that a lot of people in the world, including a lot of Christians, they don't have a clear or accurate view of God the Father. They don't see God the Father in in a right way. And there's a lot of reasons for that, which we'll go into later. But if we don't see God the Father accurately and clearly and honestly, then it really deprives us of the type of relationship that we are meant to have with Him. And it affects everything in our life. When I was a young whippersnapper, maybe 
I don't know, seven or eight years old, I remember looking out my window one night. I had a, a, a bedroom, it had two windows, and one of them looked out over a porch that we had, and it was about nine or 10 o'clock at night. It was dark in Medford, and I look out, and I see this little light, and it, in my mind, it's the ember of a cigarette, and my dad is out there, and I can hear him talking, and I can't really see him. There's some branches and things in the way, but I see this looks like the ember of a cigarette, and I think, oh my goodness, my dad is smoking. Now, to some of you, that's not a big deal. And I would recognize it's not that big of a deal to smoke whatever, but you got to understand the context. I'm a pastor's kid. My dad's a pastor. You know, we didn't smoke. We didn't drink. We didn't even watch The Simpsons. You hear what I'm saying? So we're like that family. And so if my dad is smoking, that's a, a, a narrative shift for me, okay? And that really changes how I see my dad because I'm thinking my dad's a liar. Like he's telling people, you know, don't be doing all this stuff. And he's smoking on the back porch, Pastor Steve's out there. This isn't Shekinah glory here. This is a different kind of smoke. So I'm looking out and I see this and I just, my brain is just telling me what is going on. My dad is smoking. And so I'm pretty upset by this. I go downstairs. I'm like, mom, is dad smoking on the back porch? And she starts laughing. She goes, no, honey, he's on the phone. And we had one of those cordless phones, right? Those, it's called a landline for anybody under, um, so, okay, like, there's record players and Okay, never mind. Anyways, it's a, it's a cordless phone. Okay, not a cell phone, but a cordless phone. And it had a, a red light on it. And my dad was just out there on the phone. And I thought he was smoking. And so I'm nearly in tears talking to my mom. And she's laughing, going, no, no, no. He's just talking on the phone. But the way that I saw my dad, the way that I saw my father, it shifted my perception. And it really challenged my, uh, my, my comfort level. It challenged my sort of security in knowing who my dad was, his character, and what he presented himself to be. Now, maybe something like this has happened to you, but rather than in a funny story about a phone or something and thinking your dad is smoking or whatever that's kind of silly, maybe you have a, a real wound in your life because of an earthly father that hurt you or was absentee or whatever, and it's, it's kind of projected onto God. And so the lenses by which you view God has shifted your perspective of his character, his integrity, and his nature, and you're not really seeing God the Father in a correct way. And here's the reality about life, that all of life is seen through lenses, okay? Everything in life is shaped by our worldview. Now, the way that our worldview is shaped doesn't change what is real, but it does change our perception of that which is real and that which is true. And the lenses of life come from many things. They come from our past, past experiences, what's happened to us in our life. They come from our presuppositions. Our presuppositions are beliefs that are sort of the, the bedrock beliefs, those core beliefs that we can't necessarily prove, but they, they guide and shape what we think about everything else. They come from our prejudices. All of us are prejudiced to certain things, or you might call these preferences, but prejudice is kind of a negative word, but our, our, our kind of prejudgments against things, against people, against experiences. And our life is shaped, these lenses are even shaped probably most so by the people around us, okay? The people that we spend the most time with or our family of origin, these are things that create lenses in our life that begin to change, not which, what is real, but change what we perceive as real, as important, as valuable in life. And so if we have flawed lenses or lenses that require some correction, what happens? Well, that gives us a flawed view of life. I find many people are very hopeless or they're cynical or they just feel like life has no purpose. And so they, they sort of gravitate towards either Epicureanism, the pursuit of pleasure, or maybe Stoicism. They're going to be in self-denial and try to improve themselves, but their life is hopeless or cynical. And it's because the, the way they see life has been shaped through this lens that they look through. 
If you have flawed lenses, you might end up with a flawed view of others. What does the flawed view of others look like? Well, when you don't see others in an accurate way through the lens of your worldview, then you might seek to dominate people. You might seek to control people. Or you might be insecure and believe that you need to flatter people or that other people have the key to your success or your destiny. That's a flawed view of others. And ultimately what happens with flawed lenses is that you have a flawed view of God. And this is where we're going to spend our time today. But if you have a flawed view of God, you might perceive God as angry and abusive. That God is like the earthly father that you had. Or maybe the the father figure that you see portrayed on TV who's just angry and yelling and kind of drilling in. and, and, And that's perhaps how you see God. Or maybe you see God as sort of this absentee disinterested, kind of above it all. He's the the dad that sends maybe a card every once in a while, 10 bucks in the mail, but he's just, he's not there for you. He's absentee. And this comes from flawed lenses. And so a question that I want to put into your heart today, believing that today God's going to do some awesome corrective work uh, is this, what lenses do you see your father in heaven through? What lenses are coloring and shaping and perhaps distorting your view of God, where you're not accurately seeing your Father in heaven. You're seeing him through, again, these lenses, and it's giving you this perspective of him that might not be completely incorrect, but might not be 100% accurate. And how is that shaping? What, what lenses are you seeing God through, and how are they shaping your view of him? This really matters, because Jesus taught us in Scripture and demonstrated to us in the pattern of his prayers and ministry and how he approached God that we are to approach God as Father, that we are to see God as Father. Now, there's nothing intrinsically more valuable about masculinity, femininity, fathers, mothers. You know, on Mother's Day, we celebrated motherhood. We celebrated mothers. Today, it's Father's Day. We're celebrating fatherhood. I believe that God in himself encapsulates both all that is wonderful about masculinity, all that is wonderful about femininity. He is the source of all life. So there's no value judgment here between fathers and mothers or one's more important or any of that or even making much to do about a gender against another gender. And that's not what I'm talking about today. But the way that we are to relate to God as demonstrated and patterned by Jesus is as father. And it's interesting to me because culturally, and I would say even within the the deconstruction or elements of the deconstruction movement within the Christian church today is there is a push to sort of get people to go around, sort of to circumnavigate the issue of God as father. Because many people have a father wound. Many people had a dad or a father, whether he was uh, there and abusive or maybe he wasn't there or whatever, and and it really impacts our ability to receive from God as father. And so there's been a a kind of a push theologically to say, well, it doesn't really matter how you relate to God. You don't really have to see him as father. You could just see him as something else and have a relationship with God. And even people have received healing by sort of moving into some of those things. But I don't think that's the most valuable approach theologically to take. I think what's more important is rather that we would be healed and that the lenses that we see him through would be corrected so we could receive the grace that comes from receiving God as Father, rather than sort of the band-aid that comes from kind of going around the issues that might crop up by seeing God as Father. Because see, Jesus, this is how he told us to relate to God. In fact, when Jesus' disciples said, teach us how to pray, this is what he said. Here's how it starts. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. 
Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Literally the beginning of the prayer of our Lord is to see God as Father and to recognize the family relationship that we have with God. See, if you take God out of the Father role of our uh, spirituality, of our faith, of our theology, if you take God out of that, then you lose the familial aspect of what it is to be a Christian. There's something different about being a caretaker or a guardian or an instructor and being a father. I'm not just the protector provider of the Schmelzer family. I am the papa. I am the father. Come on. There's something about the, the, the DNA that gets transmitted and the character and the values and, and the all-in aspect of family that only comes in the, in the uh, presentation of the father that isn't there if God is just, he's powerful and he's great. Okay, those are, yes, those are aspects of who he is, but Jesus says we relate to him as father. Listen in James 1.17. James says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. Now, could you say coming down from God most high? Yes. Could you say coming down from God magnificent? Yes. But again, why do the biblical writers again and again take us back to receiving and responding and relating to God as Father? Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Because God, our Father, is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And because he doesn't change, this is how we are to relate to him. But we're to relate to him not as our flawed view of a father, but to see how incredibly good a father can be and how our Father in heaven is. See, I I believe that I'm a good father to my children. I know if you were to put the Schmelzer family, both my, my father that I had, Growing up, I feel very privileged to have a wonderful father. Uh, and if you took my, my fatherhood and my parental sort of relationship with my children and you put us on a, on a curve, we'd probably be pretty high. I don't beat my children. I'm not abusive. I'm not absentee. All that kind of stuff. I know in, in the church here we have a lot of wonderful dads, a lot of wonderful fathers. But I know one thing, that if you were to say, are you a perfect father? Do you give every good and perfect thing to your children? I'd go, no. Actually, I'm very flawed. A lot of times my own ego gets in the way of being a good dad. A lot of times my own insecurity gets in the way of being a good dad. Sometimes my anger gets in the way, my frustration. How many of you earthly fathers know pretty hard job and we're not perfect, right? Even if you're doing a good job on a curve. But when it comes to God the Father, he is the the ideal. He is the archetype. He is the perfect father And we are to allow our hearts to to resonate in tune with this reality that every good and perfect thing comes from God, our Father. Not God, some other title or name, but recognizing Him as Father. This is a huge part to understanding and grasping the reality and the beauty of grace and the gospel message that God didn't just save you out of sin to give you a, a spot on the heavenly cruise ship that goes to Alaska. He gave you not just a place in, a, in the family business, but he gives you a seat at the family table. He invites you to be his child. That's a beautiful thing. In Mark chapter 1, verse 9, I think we have one of the greatest presentations of the Father heart of God. And I believe today I'm going to give you three corrective lenses by which we can see our Father in heaven and it'll be transformational. 
In Mark chapter 1, verse 9, it says, At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And this is what God the Father says. He says it over Jesus, and I believe that he speaks this, these truths over each and every one of us as well. He says, And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. One of the greatest things about God is that, like it said, he never changes. He doesn't cast a shadow. Like the light of, of, of clarity and truth, it shines directly on God at 12 o'clock noon and there's no shadow. There's nothing with God where you would go, oh, but I can't really see that side of him. Maybe he's different on Tuesday than he is on Monday. No, as theologians would say, he's immutable. He does not change. God directly says this in scripture, I do not change. So when you see the character of God represented, what we need to understand is that though we change, that circumstances change, life changes, people change, institutions change, governments change, but God doesn't change and he's always as good as he is all the time. And what he spoke over Jesus is the same immutable, unchangeable, unflagging character and heart that he had for his son Jesus as we are brought in as co-heirs with Christ and brought into the family of God as we're going to see the Bible teaches us that we are when we come to Jesus. Then the same unchanging, wonderful goodness of God the Father is for you today and forever. And so three things the Father says in this passage. He says over Jesus and he says over you, the word of identity, you are my son, you are my child. This is the word of identity. He says the word of affection, whom I love, and he speaks the word of affirmation in whom I am well pleased. Now I believe that if you will let this begin to be the, the, the repeating message that you play in your head every day, rather than the voice of the enemy, rather than the voice of other people, rather than your own insecurity or whatever it is, but rather you would hear God saying over you, you are my child and I love you and I'm pleased with you. And if that would begin to be the narrative that plays inside of you, it'll change everything. It'll bring so much hope and so much healing. And this is why I say we have to see God as father because it's different when somebody who's not your dad says these things over you. I remember when I was getting ready to move to Eugene, my dad and I were on the phone, my dad Steve and I were on the phone with uh, uh, Pastor Mark and uh, Pastor Gary at ECF and we're talking about some stuff and we had been having a long conversation and my dad got up and he, he didn't have a heart attack, but we thought he did. He, he ha- passed out. He had low blood sugar or something. And so he, he got up against the door and he kind of put his hand out and I looked up and I go, dad, are you okay? And then he collapsed. He went totally pale. And so my thoughts were, he's, he's gone. You know, I'm losing my dad. So I ran over and I'm there and I'm praying for him and you know, you, get, you go to your highest level of spirituality when crisis happens, right? So mine was like, I'm speaking in tongues. Uh, everyone's theology diverts to their most like, where's the power at, right, in these moments? And so uh, I'm praying in tongues. I'm, I'm crying out to God. Touch him, Lord, you know, and I'm calling other people, come on, help me, help me, help me. And, and I said to my dad, the words that came out of my heart, you're my hero. Dad, I love you. Thank you so much. Woo pretty impactful. And you know what? When my dad later, he didn't die. Thanks, thank God. He's still alive, doing well. Just got back from Brazil uh, last night, still going strong. Later, a couple years later, gone through some really, really hard stuff. And I'm sitting in the car 
I just got my butt handed to me at a meeting and ripped to shreds. My character was assaulted. My integrity was questioned. And I was devastated. I'm in the car. I'm with Bethany. My wife is so beautiful and lovely, but she's not my father. She's saying, it's okay. We're going to get through this. My dad called. How did it go? It didn't go good. He goes, Jake, I'm proud of you. I know who you are. It doesn't matter what anyone else says. Because I raised you, I know who you are. And just begins to speak affirmation, affection, identity, claiming me as his own. And my wife said on speakerphone, she said, Steve, because I'm just crying at this point. She says, you can't see him, but you're pulling arrows out of your son right now. Don't stop. And he just kept going. And, and man, I felt like, it felt like, uh, you know when you pump up a bike tire, woof, you can hear that whoosh of air. It was like all of my, my father's words were just pumping me up and pushing out the arrows of the enemy and other things, insecurity and things I could have taken on as labels and wounds and issues. And, just, and I began to, to get stronger in my spirit. And I'll just tell you right now, I have some good friends. I have a beautiful wife who's an incredible woman of God great kids, great people in my life, there was one person, one person that could speak at that moment and change the course of destiny in my life. And his name is Steve Schmelzer and he's my father. And you know what? He wasn't actually speaking the words of Steve Schmelzer because he was actually standing in place of the one person who has the ability to speak into your life and prophetically redirect your destiny. You see, you might have thought that your past is what directs your destiny. It's not. Because if you receive the word of your father who comes in and says, you belong to me, I love you, and I'm proud of you, that's what changes things. It's your father in heaven. This is why we don't redirect and go, oh, I can't see God as father because I have daddy issues. No, we need to get our eyes cleaned out and our lenses clear so we can look him and hear those words come because the voice of the father is important and powerful and changes things. And so God says these three things over you. You are my Son, you are my child. When my son Jack was a toddler, a little whippersnapper, he's still a little guy, but he's getting older now, but I put my hand on his chest in his crib and in his bed, and I'd go, I'd push him down, and I'd go, Jack, you're my son. And he'd go, ah, you're my son. Ah. I don't do that to the girls because they don't respond the same way, but... With the girls, I grab them in my arms and we go to the daddy-daughter dance whenever we can and I wear my suit and they wear their princess dresses and they're just, you know, and I, oh, you're beautiful, Evie, you're so beautiful. Penny, you're beautiful, you're so amazing. I love you, I'm so proud of you, you're my daughter. Claim my kids. You see, my children, they do a lot of really good things and I'm so proud of the kids they're becoming and the, 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 who they're becoming in life. They also do a lot of weird stuff, <laughs> sideways motion, and, and on, on good days and bad, they're mine, and I'm theirs. I'm their dad, and, and they're my kids, and all that I have is for my children. Uh, I put my name on them. They're born into my house. Like the scripture says, they're arrows that are being prepared to be sent out uh, in the hands of a warrior. It says in Romans chapter eight fifteen, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves, Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. 
And now we call him Abba Father. This word Abba is an affectionate term like daddy. We call him Abba Father. We're not just brought into a theologically correct, right relationship with God when we come to Jesus. Yes, we are made positionally righteous. That's beautiful. I'm excited about going to heaven and when God sees me, he sees Jesus, but he didn't just bring you into some religion. He brought you into relationship. And now you get to call him Abba Father. You've been adopted into God's family. I want you to just think about for a minute the power of a name because life puts labels on us, doesn't it? Uh, Our own mistakes, our own failures, our own transgressions label us. Uh, Other people label us. You know, many of us growing up, whether you were bullied or teased or whatever, it, it can create insecurity and there's labels that come on to you. And so life has this way of kind of labeling us and putting names on us. And when God shows up and adopts us into his family, the name that we now have on our life is the name of son and daughter. And we have the family name of Jesus. We have the family name of God, our Father in heaven. He changes our name. And a name represents so much. It represents family. It represents connection. It represents status. It represents reputation. And it represents authority and so much more. And God, in his grace, doesn't just forgive you, but he brings you into his family. Like in the story of the prodigal son, when the father says, not only can you come home, but you can't come home as a servant. You have to come back as a son. And even though you were prodigal and you wasted your inheritance and the name upon your life was prodigal, now the name that the father gives you is restoration and redemption and You're now given the ring that goes upon your finger and you're now given the sandals on your feet and the robe and we kill the fatted calf and God puts you in his family. This is powerful. I think if we knew who we were, really were, if we really know who we are spiritually in Christ, that we are now sons and daughters of God, it would change everything about how we live, walk, operate in life, treat other people and see ourselves. And so God speaks that word over you today. Get that lens and see God the Father. Number two, he speaks over Jesus, whom I love. This is the word of affection. It says in 1 John 3, see how very much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. See, it's not just a new identity. We're completely loved. God loves you so much. In a parable that Jesus tells, he talks about this term that in the, in the original language, it means that like your stomach hurts. It's like a stomach hurts kind of love. You know when you just love you see your kids or something and you love them so much it almost hurts your guts like you love them so much and that's how much God loves you love changes things love love opens doors love directs destiny the love that my family has for me and the love that came from my father the love that I give to my children it's, it shapes destiny maybe you're here today and the name on your life has been unloved No one's spoken for you. No one stood up for you. Maybe you were getting the crap kicked out of you and your dad didn't show up and pull arrows out of you. Well, I'm sorry for that. First, we're here to be spiritual fathers, guys. That's what we can do for each other, right? And help help people in the church. But number two, your heavenly father is speaking his word of love over your life. You need to know that you're loved. And this love that God has for you is separate from your performance, This love is just based on the fact that he called you to be his child. The love that I have for my children does not ebb and flow based on their changing behaviors 
On a good day, I don't love Evelyn and Jack and Penelope more than on a bad day. The love is constant. The expression of that love sometimes goes from, here's a nice treat to, here's some discipline (laughs) based on behavior. And it's the same with God. But his love is absolutely unchanging. Number three, I am well pleased. This is the word of affirmation. And this one is really amazing to me because Jesus at this point is 30 years old and he's been raised by Joseph and Mary and he's, he's essentially lived in obscurity. We have the story of his birth and we have the story when he was 12 years old of being in the temple and obviously he was growing in his ability to understand the word and interact because the scholars there and the, those in the temple were amazed at how he would, would ask questions and things. But from that point forward, from 12 to 30, we don't have any information about what Jesus was up to, what he was doing. And I think later in history, other people tried to sort of fill in the gaps as if Jesus wasn't awesome enough with the three years we do have recorded of what he did. But Jesus is a 30-year-old man. He goes and he's baptized. And this is when this moment of God speaking these words over his life begins. And what's fascinating to me is that God absolutely affirms Jesus before he started his ministry. This is before the miracles. This is before the crowds came to hear him. This is before he calls his disciples and instigates and initiates the the, the church and the movement that would change history. This is before Jesus becomes the pivot point, pivot point of human history, where we literally measure time before Christ and Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. This is before all of that. This is before the cross. And yet he comes and he says, I'm well pleased in you. Because the affirmation of the Father, again, like his affection, is not connected to your performance, but rather to your identity. You see, when it all starts with that he's chosen you to be his son or his daughter, and you're now part of the family of God, the other two come with that. And I think what's interesting is that we even have begun to discover just the barest hints of this sociologically, psychologically, as we've studied these things, that as human beings, we actually need affirmation. You, you, you need, whether you think so or not, because we try to act really tough, but you do need somebody to come and go, you know what, you can do it, and I'm for you, and I'm happy with you, even before you do the thing. See, we live in sort of the cold calculus in a, in a world where if you do make money or you do have success in whatever thing you're involved with, then we think, oh, well, now you deserve affirmation. And God does it in reverse. He affirms the identity and the individual. And out of affirmation comes good performance. Out of affirmation, after affirmation comes fruitfulness and ministry. Because the reality is the, the root is what produces the fruit. But we, in, the, in the natural world, we just celebrate the fruit, but God celebrates the root. And guess what? When you're saved by grace and brought into the family of God, the root is different and the root is good. And God knows that with the water of the Holy Spirit and the time that he has for you and the encouragement that he's giving to you, and if you'll follow his voice, you are going to produce fruit. So he can affirm in advance which, that which he prophetically sees is to come. Do you know that God sees you past, present, and future? And so he affirms you, even knowing you're going to make mistakes, even knowing you're going to have bad days. Come on. And God affirms you today and says, I'm well pleased with you. And that hurts my brain. Because the little perfectionist wants to be affirmed after I have success. And God says, you'll never have success until you receive my affirmation as father. Come on, somebody. (laughs) 
In Ephesians 2.10, Paul says, for we are God's masterpiece. Another translation says his handiwork. We're handmade. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I, I think about this verse, and I think some people would think of it as almost a predetermined path. So the good things that God created us to do is like, if I live up to my potential, then I will, you know, in five years, I'll hit this marker. And then in five years, I'll hit this marker, kind of like an itinerary. I don't actually don't think that's what this verse is talking about. I think what it's talking about is that it's more like Santa Claus sack. Uh, and inside the sack are all these wonderful, good things. And in partnership with God, as we surrender to him and we allow him to love us and affirm us and change our identity and work a new heart and spirit in us, that we begin to pull awesome things out of Santa Claus sack for the world around us. And we begin to reveal heaven come to earth. And it's this beautiful destiny that's like not just predetermined where you're, you have to do everything a particular way, but rather that as God changes your heart, you get to continually unveil newer and greater and better things, these good works, these good things that you get to participate with God. Are there predetermined things in life and in the world? Yes, I believe that, and even in our own lives prophetically, but I think this is more of a partnership. But where do we get to this place in life where we're beginning to unpack purpose and goodness and every good and perfect gift and see all that God has for us? It's as we receive this word, and you I'm well pleased, and we, we change our view of God and realize God isn't sitting there kind of going, uh, mildly disapproving. That he made us on purpose and for a purpose. And that he delights in you. Now, are we sinners? Do we need to repent and come to Christ? Absolutely. But like it blows my mind that this is who God is and he doesn't change. He's a good father. And when you come to him, when you lay your life down and you become his son or his daughter, he says to you, I take possession of you. I put my name on you, my son, my daughter. I love you and I'm well pleased with you. Identity, affection, and affirmation. This morning, if you bow your head and close your eyes, I want to just speak to your heart today and, and pray for you because every one of us needs an upgrade in our view of God. You know, theology was once called the queen of sciences. It was thought that, and I think this is still correct, it just we, we got smarter than, than God, I think. We thought we did. Theology was called the queen of sciences because it was thought that to truly understand the natural world and the working of the natural world, that one must have a view of God and understand God. And I think that's still true. In fact, the great scientific breakthroughs came from people who believed in an orderly universe and that the, the world operated a certain way because it was intelligently designed. But I think the great pursuit of theology is not to have head knowledge that puffs you up, but rather to actually understand and see accurately God. And if you see God, you see love. You don't see love as defined in our culture today. You see true love, agape love, God's kind of love, and it wrecks you. It transforms you. It changes you from the inside out. And the work that we engage in every Sunday is that we would hone in our lenses theologically a little bit and get a clearer picture of God. My prayer today is that this moment would be a transformational moment for you. Maybe you know right now that there is a lens that you're seeing God through. And it's a lens of pain. It's a lens of rejection. Maybe it came from church. Maybe people in church said, well, you got 
you got to clean up, and grow up, and be better, and do more. And that puts some kind of a, a scratch in your lens of how you see God. And I want to ask today that you let the Holy Spirit do the work of buffing that scratch out and clearing it up and saying, hey, forgive your brothers and sisters. They thought they were doing the right thing. Maybe they didn't think they were doing the right thing, but can you forgive and can you see who God really is? Maybe you received labels and names from the world around you and relationships. Maybe it was a father wound or is a father wound that your father either was terrible or maybe just wasn't there. Or maybe you had a normal life, but yet there's something in your heart that needs to be healed. And so today I just want you to hear your father in heaven Speak these words over you. You are my child. I love you. And I'm well pleased with you. You, put your name in there. You're my child. You're my son. You're my baby girl. And I love you. I love you. I loved you before you were born. I loved you before you existed on planet Earth. I love you, and I'm well pleased with you. And if you'll hear the words of your Father today, let it heal your heart. Let it change your lenses. Let's see our Father in heaven for who he really is. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for Father's Day. I thank you that you are a good, good Father, a perfect Father. Every good and perfect thing comes from you. We receive that today in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd bow your head and close your eyes for just a minute more, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Jake, I don't have a relationship with my father. I'm not a Christian. I haven't given my life to Jesus. Well, this is a great day. What a great day. Father's Day, like nothing you could ever give to God is better than giving him your life. So today's the day to give your father in heaven the gift of your allegiance, to give him your life. Hand him your sin and sorrow and shame and ask him to forgive you. And Jesus provided everything that you need at the cross. He, he, he took, takes away your sin and he gives you a brand new start, a brand new life. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Jake, I want to put my trust and faith in Jesus Christ and become a child of God. Would you raise your hand so I can see? Just lift it up. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Come on, anybody here? I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, we're going to pray this prayer together. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I give you my life, all the good and the bad. I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. I receive you today as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for making me right with God. Thank you for having me in your family. In Jesus' name, amen.